All right, if you have your Bibles, just turn with me to the fifth chapter of the book of Job. And as you're turning there, let me share with you that it is a very rare occasion when I can tell you on a Thursday, let's say, which I think it was a Thursday, exactly what I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. Now, that happened this week. Something that provoked my thinking just assured me that this is where we should be on this Lord's Day, and that's just a rare occasion for me. In Job chapter 5, verse 6, then verse 7, we're going to see at verse 7 specifically a principle of life, not merely or just simply for Christians, but for everybody. So verse 6, Job chapter 5 says, Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Why don't you look at that seventh verse one more time. Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. What I want to speak to you about today, I've given this message the title, Never Pray for an Easy Life. But the full title would be more why you should never pray for an easy life. Then the subtitle would be rather pray for the grace and strength to endure and overcome a difficult one. In the seventh verse of Job chapter 5, we have a principle that life is tough for everybody. Life is difficult, and there's no escaping it. So that's why I get to this title of this message, which is really the whole summation of what I want to say to you today. Never pray for an easy life, because you're not going to get it. That's one good reason not to pray for it. You're not going to get it. This world has been tainted with sin, and that's the way it's going to stay until Christ returns. Life is difficult. Life is rough for everybody. Not a select group. I do think we could observe that some people seem to have more of their share of difficulties than others. But still, it's difficult for everybody. So you don't want to find yourself. And I know that nobody really does this. Nobody asks God, make my life an easy one. But the concept is there. I'll explain what I mean in just a couple of minutes. Give you evidence of it. The concept of everything going smooth all the time. No bumps in the road. No obstacles. No setbacks is inside of all of us. And we have the Bible, and we'll get to that in just a moment, that corrects that thinking. But I will give you evidence once again that not everybody pays attention to what's written in the Bible. And that's the reason that it has spawned churches who don't directly say, coming to this church is going to make your life easy. But the intent is there, even if it's unconscious. That's why people gravitate to it. We'll get to that. I'm going back maybe 22, 23 years ago, and whenever my family and I went on vacation, the first day of our vacation, the very first thing that I did for many, many years, I would go to a used bookstore and pick up a handful of books. And this was my habit, again, for many, many years until the advent of digital books, Kindles, and so on. But this one summer day, the very first day of vacation, we had just arrived, put our things away. I took a walk with my youngest son at the time, who I think may have been maybe seven years old. It was a long walk. We walked along a boardwalk that goes through one of the towns next to where we stay to a used bookstore. I could spend a fair amount of time in a bookstore. When we had malls, I mean, we still have malls, but 
whenever I would go with my wife to a mall while she did shopping, I'd also uh, be in the bookstore. That's all I've ever did. And so we arrived. It was a long walk. My little boy at the time, the used bookstore, and I took my time. And as you know, I read on a variety of subjects, not just theology or biographies of Christians. I read those too, and I have read them. I read on a variety of subjects. Most of them are nonfiction. And I came across a book, the title of which is called SEAL, about a Navy SEAL, back when they were just really forming during the Vietnam War. And I picked it off the shelf, get familiar with this person's story. And so it was one of the books I read that year. And it's the story of Lieutenant Commander Michael Walsh, who was a highly decorated Vietnam veteran. Again, one of the original Navy SEALs back when they were just being formed, before they had the reputation they have now. And his story is amazing. Of all the accomplishments, 26 years in combat, five tours of duty in Vietnam, and then Central America and the drug wars and other things, Beirut and other things that he's done, were all in the book. All interesting. But remember that my choice of this book was just out of caprice. Looked interesting. That's it. And I did judge the book by its cover. I had no idea what the contents were. After reading all of these, his exploits in combat, all the things that he did, uh, his personality included, it took me quite by surprise that the very last chapter of the book is titled, My Testimony. And the last chapter of this book by Lieutenant Commander Michael Walsh is how and why he decided to turn his life over to Christ. I didn't pick up the book knowing that this man had become a Christian. Obviously a tough individual, if you read his book, you'd get a greater picture of just how tough this guy is. But he became a Christian, he gave his reasons why, and he said something that has stuck with me all these 23 or so years. He said, now the Bible is my field manual. And he went on to say that, he says, and my Lord, Jesus, demands more out of me than the Navy SEALs ever demanded. What's interesting about that is I had a couple of sons that joined the military, and I would share with them what's a good thing to do, country, God and country. But I said, if you think that joining the military is going to make you a man, you are mistaken. I said, Christ makes you a man. God makes you a man. And I explained to both of them that went in, God has a way of testing you, but no man can test you this way. He'll bring you right to your limits. And a man can bring you to your limits, and they kind of have an idea by evaluating your blood pressure and response to stress and other things that you're at your limit, take them out. But I would tell my sons that God knows even more. When you're at a point where you say, I really can't take anymore, and God still doesn't let up, you need to know right at the outset that God alone knows when to let up. Even though you're saying, I can't take any more of this, which, by the way, I have said many times in my life, many times, I can't stand much more of this. And God doesn't relieve me. So that indicates to me, this is what I've learned, is that God alone knows how much I can actually take before it will be, you know, catastrophic or detrimental to the training that God gives us, all of us. So this is why I say to you, here's a decorated Navy SEAL, most of whom are known for their heroism in combat in real time in the real world. How many of them are actually Christians? How would I know? But I know this man made that profession and went on to say that Christ demanded more of him than the Navy SEALs ever did. And I had read that after I had told my sons that God has a way of testing you so thoroughly.
deeper than just the flesh and what you could do athletically, deeper than just mental toughness of how much can you endure without quitting. God goes down deep into the spirit. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God, it, it divides us, it divides all of our thoughts, which are right, which are wrong, and so on. God has a way of testing you that no man can test you. And by the way, all of the characters you read or have read in the Bible were tested. So much so that the Apostle Peter will say to us in a general epistle, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which has come to test you. What is the test? The test is to see, it's twofold, to see if you're the real deal. Now again, you know, the attrition rate of those who sign up, you know, they're all young people. They want to be, you know, special forces. They want to be spec ops. They want to be part of the elite. It's a good thought. But most times they have not yet begun to embrace the pain, overcoming their fears, depression, and many other things that go along with it. And Peter, in particular, was used by the Lord to write the words, Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which has come to test you. And then we talk about and we read about the testing of our faith. Testing of our faith. Tests are not easy. Tests will not be easy. Tests were not designed to be easy. It's coming to show us two things. Number one, are we the real deal? Are we really followers of Christ? And secondly, God's testing and his trials that he permits and ordains to be in our life has come to make us stronger. So with this in mind, let me say to you again, never pray for an easy life, because that's a guaranteed prayer that will not get answered. Secondly, it's a direct contradiction of what Jesus told us from the beginning. Any man who wants to be my disciple, let him pick up his cross and follow me. The Bible talks about self-abnegation. It talks about the crucifixion of self. It talks about a lot of things that if you're reading it just on the surface, you're not picking it up. This is meant to be applied. It comes to make us stronger. And you have to appreciate that. So don't ever pray. I know that you don't. Again, I repeat myself. I know that you don't go out and God say, make me to have an easy life. And most of us as young people didn't have enough experience in life to even pray that prayer anyway. But rather pray that God continues to give you the grace and the strength and the courage to endure and to overcome a difficult life which has been given to you. Now let me just hasten to say that this difficult life that we have decided to follow when we said, I decided to follow Jesus. Let me interject this. I'm speaking for myself. I did not decide to be a Baptist. I did not decide to be Pentecostal, Methodist, Roman Catholic. Keep on going down the line. I made a decision to follow Jesus. I did. I think that you did too. I didn't sign on for somebody else's program. I signed on for Jesus. And I remember speaking about this out loud as a young man to someone who was in the clergy. And he kind of chuckled. And he said to me, he says, then get prepared for a real roller coaster ride, which I had no clue what he meant, but I do now. You could be up one day and the very next day. In fact, you could be up in the morning by the afternoon. You're in the valley of the shadow of death. And by nighttime, you back up again. God has his ways and God has his plans. But I started out by saying that I don't believe anyone consciously prays for an easy life. But the Bible is often presented to us in a way that that's the impression that people get. Follow Jesus. Now, I've never heard anybody ever say this, but it was the way I received it in my head, listening to faith preachers. Follow Jesus 
and everything will go right from here on in, which in one manner of speaking it does, based on Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. But in the other respect, that's not how we ordinarily receive it when we're young in the Lord. We're thinking about like, I'm going to have everything go right in my home, have my health, uh, relationships, and on and on and on. I'm going to speak things into existence and everything will go right. It's sort of like a biblical or theological, philosophical version of Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. Open sesame. And it just things open, things just happen. Never pray for an easy life, but continually pray for the grace and the strength, the patience, the courage, and all that goes along with that to endure a difficult life. Let's take a quick survey for my benefit. How many of you can say I have a difficult life? Because I knew it was going to be most everybody. I want you to be courageous enough to say I've never had a difficult life. I don't have one now. And say, Pastor, you know, I don't agree with you because I speak things into existence. And everything goes just the way I want them. Anybody here like that? I will publicly rebuke you. There's something wrong. You don't know this book. I've told you this stories when I used to listen to Christian radio years ago. I mean, they had a lot of messages then. I don't know what's on the radio now because, quite frankly, I don't listen much. I'm never in my car. And I don't have radios all over the house. I pick my music of what I want to listen to, which, again, is a short duration because I'm not around that stuff a lot. And uh, it seemed like every other message on faith was presented to me the way I received it. That with just the right tweaking of my own growth in the Lord, everything works out the way I want it to work out. Or what I call the Midas touch. Everything just turned to gold. And it didn't. Preacher says, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. So I did. But what happened was the messages that I was hearing, going back many years now, was actually overriding what was right in front of me. Verse 7, Job chapter 5 says, A man is born unto trouble. As the sparks fly upward. But somehow we have a way of bypassing what it says right there. And listening to what some preacher says. That if you have enough faith. Or let me give you an example of what some of you have heard. The reason you're sick is because you didn't have enough faith. Now the problem with that statement is that it can be true. But Elisha died of a sickness. But even when a dead soldier was thrown on top of his bones. He revived and resurrected. The power of God was still there. And we don't know. Timothy had stomach problems. So the Apostle Paul advised him to have a little wine. Emphasis on little. Emphasis on you have a stomach problem. There was others in the Bible. And all of them, well, I'm in the book of Job. All of them had a difficult life. Doesn't matter who you pick out. Male or female, they all had tests and trials in a difficult life. Every single one of them. Everyone. So you have to ask yourself, if I'm following the same Lord, the same God that they are, why is my life going to be different? The reason some are left with that impression, as I was early on, is from preachers who either have an abysmal lack of knowledge of the entire book, even though that's not what you suspect if someone's nationally, internationally known speaker, or they're just disregarding it. Either way, it's not good for you, because you're being left with the impression that life is easy when you have Jesus. And it's not. Emphatically, it's not. Now, here's the thing, and I want you to think about this later. I want you to think this through. Because it became a very profound insight to me just a few days ago when this all happened upon me. 
Churches are now geared to address audiences, once again, not stating directly, they'll say, how to conquer your problems, four ways to conquer your depression, your problems, whatever. But the idea is that at the end of these four points, from that point on, everything's going to be just the way you want it. And what happens is that churches who cater this way to the population, they draw the people in with the hope that from this point on, everything is going to be the way I want it. Again, let me go through the typical teaching in the Faith Prosperity Camp. I'm going to speak it into existence. And it will be. I've watched a man for the last five years on and off talk about what's going to happen next year. And it never happens. So he switches and he's changed to something else. And it never happens. I don't know that he's aware, consciously aware, that anything he has said is going to happen has not happened. It's the same with God told me to tell you. If God actually told you to tell anybody anything, it's going to come to pass. Otherwise, God has not spoken it. That's just a general concept. Never pray for an easy life because it's a guarantee that you're not going to get it because no one does. Pray for the grace, strength, and courage and whatever it takes to endure and overcome a difficult life. We need to teach our young people, those adults who actually understand this principle, we need to teach our young people life is not going to be easy. Because if we have a whole community out here, not just young, older too, that believe that life should be easy. And when I want something, I should get it. I was sitting in the locker room of the gym when a man came in who I assumed to be older than me, by the way he looked, I don't know how old, but older than me. And it was only him and I in the locker room and he began to just rant. I mean, in an angry, angry tone. Began to rant about the weather. Look at this rant. He was yelling. It almost sounded like he was yelling at me. Like, I did this. That's the tone. Oh, but people are going to be pulling their boats out of the water. Nobody's going to be coming out of the water. Because I knew not to answer a fool in his folly. And I think he may have been a bit demented. So I gave him some points for that. But what I wanted to say to him, and I just didn't have the patience, the time, or the interest to say, why are you talking to me? I have nothing to do with the weather. Nothing. I accept the weather the way it comes, including humidity. I then saw this man a week or so later coming in the door to the gym, and he was ranting on the same subject to one of the guys at the desk. Ah, there's a car. And again, maybe he's slipping mentally because he's older. It could be that. But the useless waste of time and energy, angry at the world, literally, if he's not angry at God himself, who knows, about something he cannot control. It's a fool. And this is one I met just recently in his folly. I have no intention of engaging this man at all. I will not answer a fool in his folly unless I get a reproach to myself. Right? It's in the book. It's in the Bible. So what has happened is that people in the quest for an easy life, more comfortable life, and then we throw in the money. We all need money. They start to stretch this idea and now we're talking about maybe success. God wants you to be a success. You know, I really don't doubt that. I just doubt what's your definition of success. All these patriarchs, look at the apostles, study their lives. I mean, as far as historical tradition, every one of them were killed for the faith. Isaiah was sawn in half. Job ended up pretty good at the end, but he went through a lot to get there. And on and on. Life is not easy for anybody. And there's two roads. One is a life with Christ. And we're going to read these verses in just a minute. He said... Enter in at the straight, the narrow gate, small, tiny gate. And then when you get in that way, you'll be walking sideways until you reach the kingdom. And it's difficult and trying and all that. 
The broad way Jesus talked about, many there be that go in thereat, leads to destruction. However, the Bible also says the way of the transgressor is hard. So whether you go left or you're right, life is going to be hard. I've always figured that if life is going to be hard either way, pick the road that leads to Jesus and eternal life. Because we have so much here, as I mentioned just a moment ago, of his promises of what he will do. But he never implied, in fact, he directly stated that this life in him will not be easy. So I suggest to you that the success of so many people that are drawing in, in some cases tens of thousands, in some cases millions, are presenting a gospel that is not the gospel. It is not the life of discipline that Jesus talked about. And in the end, for some, it will not be the way that led to eternal life or to, to God's kingdom. It is created because it's based on human wants or the flesh. We know that the prophets of the Old Testament were rejected for telling the truth because it was not what the people wanted to hear. And when they listened to the false teachers and the false prophets, I'll apply it to my message, about an easy life, because they had the temple, they were sorely disappointed by the results of captivity and slavery and on and on, losing their land. We must not be pulled in by a philosophy that says your life can be easy because Jesus said, no, it's not going to be easy. So the first thing we need to realize is that we are living in a world that is cursed. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And that, my friends, has not changed. My brother just told me the other day, planted, I forget what he planted, some type of flower. And these little woodchucks came along and ate the tops off all of them. <laughs> life is not easy. The, the world we live in is cursed. Now, you're jumping ahead of me, I'm sure, in your mind. So, but Jesus redeemed us from the curse. True. But he didn't take us out of the world. We're still in this world. And he said, in the world, you will have tribulation. You will. So why is it a mystery then to some that these verses are not accented? And that, as I've told you many times, that lies on the preachers. If I'm truly a student of the Bible, and I willfully neglect to tell you or anybody else what the Bible actually says, that's on me. And you mislead people. You get them to think that following Jesus is easy, and following Jesus is not easy. How do I know? Jesus said so. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the Gospel according to John chapter 7. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount. And look what Jesus says here at verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. It means narrow. For wide is the gate and broad is the way. That's what you, all of us, that's what we seek. It's an easier path. Let's go in that way. That one's too narrow. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life. Few there be that find it. Maybe I could amend it just a bit and say, few there be that choose it. I was listening to a strength training coach, a man with many, many years' experience, and he boils down things that to me is just common sense to begin with. But let me state it. If you want to be strong, you're going to have to do the things that are hard to do. It's just really as simple as that. Easy and simple, though, are not the same things. It's simple to follow Jesus. Simple to believe 
but not easy. Let me just uh, rewind just for a moment here and talk to you about people who keep giving people the impression that, look at me, everything that I do is easy. What's wrong with you people? And you keep coming back week after week when what you're doing, what I'm telling you, actually fails. And I keep roping you back in because I keep promising you this is easy. And you go back and back and back and your circular drain to a place that goes nowhere. I want to just mention Joel Osteen for a moment because he's the most prominent person. And this is a, a quote from an online site called Got Questions. And they deal with a variety of subjects on that website. It says this, in numerous interviews and writings, Osteen has failed to proclaim that Jesus is the only way to heaven, which is what the book says. We just sang the song. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only. Only Jesus. And he's failed to do that, according to this article. He has repeatedly refused to agree with the teachings of the Bible that certain behaviors are sinful, which means sin leads to death. This is not a new convert being interviewed. It's the leader of a church of tens of thousands, the largest church in America. Osteen can't bring himself to support fundamental doctrines of the faith he claims to preach. His words communicate relativism and demonstrate a profoundly poor understanding of the Bible. When you don't talk about sin, and Osteen purposefully does not, you're not preaching the whole gospel. When you barely, if ever, call sin what it is, you're not helping anyone. At least of all, the sinner who is enslaved to sin. Joel Osteen's teaching would lead us to believe that we are being saved from unhappiness and failure in life, not from sin and God's wrath. Osteen does not teach that we need a divine rescue from judgment, but rather simply a self-improvement plan. I agree with this assessment. Some have asked me my opinion, and I would be as charitable as I can by saying, well, if you consider him to be a motivational speaker with Bible verses, okay, but he's not a preacher. A preacher is obligated to speak forth the whole counsel of God. So there's bad news that precedes good news. But none of it should lead you to an impression that God has promised you since you follow him an easy life. Because it's just the opposite. If a man would follow me and doesn't hate his father, his mother, his brother, his sisters, children, his wife, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that doesn't sound too ambiguous. You know... The one problem people have with the Bible, uh, really reading what it says, that it doesn't leave you with much of a choice other to accept or to reject it. Accept it or reject it. That's the only two choices that you have. I think it's unfortunate, to say the least, that many will reject it until they come to the point of eternity without Christ and find out in themselves, in a horrible condition that they will be in, saying, it was true. It was true. Many went into eternity last night and are saying, it was true after all. It is true. I think we should accept the fact that walking in Christ, as difficult as it can be at times, certainly has many benefits. But those benefits don't come all that easy. Romans 6, verse 6, some of you here have memorized the chapter because I had you memorize it. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Galatians 2, 20, I am crucified with Christ. And we have so many crosses in our Western culture. I have some on, not this tie, but on ties. One stands behind. We forget what this represents. It was a horrible form of dying. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, whose theology was not orthodox, but certainly he had something to add to the conversation within Christianity, Christian history. He stated that when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die to yourself. But then he imparts to us his life, and that is a good trade-off. That's a good deal. That's a good bargain. 
I have shared this many times. I want to say it again this morning just to emphasize the point. Almost, I'm coming up on almost a half a century of serving Christ. I have never, ever, ever said to myself, I want to go back. Not once. I've been tempted to, you know, be discouraged and depressed and other things. But I've never said to myself, I want to go back to my old life. I want to be the old me. Not once. And I'm grateful for that knowledge that Christ has given me, me personally. If running the race was easy, then there would never be the need to talk about endurance. Endurance. Matthew 10, 22, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. If it were easy, you wouldn't have to mention enduring. If things that are difficult to accomplish in life were all that easy, no one would have to tell you, keep at it, don't quit, don't give in, don't give up. But that's exactly what you are tempted to do. And you know as well as I know that you're often tempted, or at least have been tempted, to give it up. And how do I know that? Well, I know human nature, and I know Satan, who whispers in your ear, you can make this easy on yourself. And yes, I could, but then I would know that I'm skirting around the verses that are contained in the book that God wrote in order to do it my way. Some people make much of Frank Sinatra's song as far as criticism. I don't. I think it's just a song. However, it does have some application that if you're going to live your whole life and come to the very end that you did it your way, then by application of logic, we can be assured that we're not doing it God's way. For my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my thoughts. And I'll include it and truncate the verse. And my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are not your thoughts. What God said through Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And what we want to do is assimilate and harmonize our thoughts to be God's thoughts. So that we are not relativists. We are realists. People die. Things happen. Now again, we have many resources to go. When we're sick, we pray for healing. When we're depressed, we can read the Psalms. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And so on. So we have antidotes to these things. But we are not able to escape the inevitabilities of this life, that this life is not easy for anybody. It does get easier when you're walking uh, in the way with someone around you, right? That's called fellowship. It's the Barnabas spirit of encouragement. Don't quit. Don't give in. Don't give up. Well, God gave me this message to give to you. But believe me, whenever I teach and whatever I preach, I'm learning more than you're learning. That's the truth. There's an old expression, teach once, learn twice. I've got to study this, I've got to meditate on this, give it to you, and while I'm giving it to you, I'm reiterating what I've studied and what I've meditated on. As I'm thinking of this message and the profundity, how profound it is, life is simply not easy. So we have a lot of disappointed people in life because things do happen. And as I'm thinking about this message, it's Saturday, it's yesterday, today is Father's Day. We're all heading to my daughter's house for my children to get together and celebrate their father's, father's Day. And then they're all going with their own families so their children can, you know, celebrate with their own dads, my sons. And as I'm coming down the road to my daughter's house, I can see just up ahead what looked like a very bad accident. And it took me a moment to recognize the car was my wife's. And her car is off almost in the culvert, another car is off almost in the culvert. I could see the one woman's car greatly damaged, and I was the first car on the scene. I wasn't directly behind her, but I was the first car on the scene. I pull over. Thankfully, everybody was up standing. 
no one was hurt, and that turned out to be the case. My wife's car is total, absolutely total. The whole front pushed up halfway to the steering wheel. The other woman, young woman, maybe in her 40s, maybe young, early 40s, I think her car is total also. But here's the thing. God could have ordained for someone to kill in that car wreck. And I've done many funerals when that was just the case. God could have ordained that that was the last day for my wife or for my son who was in the car with her. But he didn't. Praise. Now, when I think about my own life and <laughs> all the things that fall out in my life, I could easily say in my brain, I don't need this. I don't want this. Certainly my wife has said it. But it is. When she got into my car, we still went over to my daughter's and we still celebrated. No one has hurt. Police arrived. Everybody took things. Cars were towed away. So we went on to celebrate. But trying to give her some reassurance, because she's already calculating this, that, and the other thing. I said, you know, you have 46 years of faith under your belt. God will always provide. Amen. You see, for me to come up here and get dressed up and talk big, that's one thing. But for me, or for you, to be consistent, to be that person that you are in any situation, to be able to say with conviction, God is going to provide when you haven't seen him provide yet. I just know at that moment he saved three people's lives. And it could have been much worse. But it's just another distraction, I'll say, because life is simply not easy. If I believed what I heard when I was young, this does not happen to Christians. Christians do not get depressed. You're depressed and you're on medication. There's something wrong because Christians don't get depressed. And if you believe that, you're going to get more depressed. Because someone is going to tell you, some preacher is going to tell you that you're depressed because it's your own fault. But I'm telling you as your pastor, it's not the case. It could be your own fault. And there is ways to correct it. As you know, I have a show for that. But the truth of it is, bad things do happen to good people or to God's people, I should say. And God doesn't always, well, I was in the book of Job, God doesn't always rescue right away his people, but he rescues them always in the nick of time. But to get from that point in faith when you don't see anything but a car wreck or depression or discouragement or what's going on in your home and who's not behaving and on and on. All of which we have seen in my house. And to keep on going takes mental toughness and endurance that no matter what, I am not going to quit. No matter what, I am not going to give up. And let me say something else to you. If you want to gain respect from other people, which may not mean anything to you anyway, be a man and be a woman, a true man, a true woman of God. Not a cheerleader or not just someone who talks big when you're not in the jam. But when you are in the jam, and how do we not know that God himself, just like Job, read the book of Job if you haven't. Satan asked for permission and God gave it. Satan asked for permission to take away from Job everything, including his health, and then sent him his wife, who said, you're just a sinner, curse God and die. Three friends, well, actually four, who said the same thing, but in much more lengthy terms. They said the same thing. Bad things are happening to you because you're not really a man of God. Everything was a fake up to this point. And Job kept maintaining his integrity. He says, I'm telling you, I don't know why God has tested me the way he's done, but I've not offended him. I've kept his laws. Well, God had to straighten Job out on a few things too, as we know. But the point is that no one is exempt from the difficulties of life. And I always tell people, particularly younger people, the sooner you can accept life as it really is, rather than the way that A, you thought it should be, I'll throw in there, B, the way a preacher told you it is for him. And I'm telling you by experience and by lots of experience in my trade, 
There's a lot of lying that goes on in pulpits. And it's not a direct lie. But it's leaving people with an impression. Everything goes right for me. What is wrong with you? Why are you depressed? Christians don't get depressed. Well, what about Elijah? What about David? What about these great patriarchs, Abraham, who felt depression? Jesus, the Apostle Paul. Do you think John, when he was on the island of Patmos, getting even the book of the Revelation, that he was having a good time? It's just not part of how it is in reality. And the sooner you can accept life as it is, the sooner you can get to a place of contentment. Amen. Not ease. And not that, oh, I like this. Although I have learned a principle, and I'm going to give it to you. I had a friend who, like Lieutenant Commander Walsh, was Special Forces his entire career, which is many decades. And if I even mentioned to him, just in light banter, a little pull or strain or whatever, he would say to me, always remember, we love pain. We embrace the pain. Pain is our friend. And I would say to him, he may be your friend. He's not my friend. <laughs> but I learned the concept. And when I'm in physical pain, which I am more than you know, I embrace it. I meet it head on. It's come to teach me something. Number one, my body is telling me something. And you learn to listen to it, say, maybe whatever you need to do. We need to embrace the cross, and the cross is not easy. Many of you here want to see our country turned around. And forgive me for being so bold, maybe rude when I say it, but you want it done at ease and comfort. Your ease, your comfort. Don't have to appear at a prayer meeting. Well, there's a few others that are praying. There's always a few. And God says through the prophet Isaiah, he's about to judge the nation, which ultimately he did. And it said, I'll paraphrase it. And it says, ultimately, you know, God looked down and he sought for someone that would intercede. But there were none. But I know that there's others now. There were none. And he marveled that there were none to pray out to him, to have mercy or to intercede, uh, intervene rather in this imminent danger that Isaiah was prophesying about. And ultimately Jeremiah would talk about for the kingdom of Judah. And yet people were just, we got the temple. Or say it in parlance that is near to us. We're Christians. Whether you light a candle or you say a prayer or you associate yourself with some popular preacher, it's the same mantra. And God says to obey is better than sacrifice. Do what I tell you to do. And then it's going to work out right, but it will still work out God's way. Let me say this to you as well. The best thing that could ever happen to you is that when you put your head down after any one day's work, one day on earth, is that you have an approving conscience. That you gave it all that you had. And even when you gave it all that you had, and you still fell short, you rest assured that you gave it your all. Love the Lord thy God with all. I told you I'm not, well, I never did. It's not something new for me. I'm just saying that I never found that to be all that easy. I found it easy to love God some. And even, let me say it to you this way so you get the picture. To love God more than any of you in this room do. That makes me look good. I'm not saying that I do. I'm just saying that's how some act. I pray more than you pray. Of course, I've heard these things said to me directly. I'm as smart as you. I had that said to me. I can do what you do. It means that you stand here and preach and teach all day long. My response is two words. Do it. I wish you would. I want to see you in two, three, four, five years. If you can endure that long. I've done 46 years. Why? Because the grace of God keeps us. The grace of God pushes us up. But if you were to say to me, well, you did it because it was easy, you are wrong. And if you say it again, you'll be dead wrong. <laughs> Endurance is unnecessary when there's not something hard to overcome. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. This is James 1, 12. 
For when he is tried, it's right there in front of us, when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. This is good too. Verse Corinthians 13, 7 about love or charity in our King James Bible. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now you know one of my favorite, one of my pet peeves is people that hug you and I love you, Pastor. And how many times has it been that the very person that always told me how great I was as a preacher or dedicated as a pastor or how much they loved them were the very people that were involved in the espionage and sabotage of the local church. Now, it's not always, but far too many. God deserves our love. He deserves us to be all in. And for me, and I told this to my father once, I think it was my father, I wanted to grow up to be someone that my parents could be proud of. Now, I'm not in the Guinness Book of World Records. I'm not honored publicly. They're not going to build a statue to me. But I wanted to be a man of honor, a man of my word like my dad was. I wanted to be someone that I know on the inside, this is who I am, and I don't need validation from people, even though you get it from time to time. That's a bonus. When you Listen, what I'm trying to say is that when you know these things and you do them, it's from the inside. The validation comes from God himself. Well done. Because life is hard for everybody. And when we do not quit, and as the training goes on, and you adapt to the reality of this world until Jesus comes, you've done yourself a great service. The glory alone goes to God, that's for sure. However, I must say, in truth, there is a measure of feeling good about yourself. Because you know that you gave it your all. There wasn't anything in reserve. You didn't keep trimming your sails all the time. You put the pedal to the metal and you gave it everything you had. And as I've said, and I will continue to say, God will never let you down. But what he's not going to do is take a magic wand over your life and just say, life without will be easy for you, but not the rest. On that, we are all on a level playing field. It's difficult for all of us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand that life is not easy for me? And I understand it's not easy for you. Well, it's good because then you can encourage one another and pray and lots of prayer. <laughs> yeah. We, that's a good word. That's the, I like the we word. We are in this together. We will overcome. We will see the glory of God. We will. So my advice to you is do not pray for an easy life, but rather pray for the courage the grace and the strength to endure a difficult one and to be able to finish your course, to say as the Apostle Paul said, I have finished my course, my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not unto me only, but unto all them that do love his appearing, to endure, to keep going through, as I finish today, I just want to give you the technical definition of mental toughness. It's defined as a personality trait. I will add one that can be developed, especially with God's grace. A personality trait that determines your ability to perform consistently under stress and pressure and is closely related to qualities such as character, resilience, grit, and perseverance. That's from the dictionary. That's what we see in the patriarchs of the Bible. And that's what we see in Job. He persevered. 
And you read the end of his life, the end of his story. It says, God blessed him twice as much. Don't pray for an easy life. Don't sit around feeling sorry for yourself. Poor me. Everything happens to me. That is a lie. Everything happens to everybody. Why was I struck with this genetic predisposition towards? And name your ailment. Then go to Jesus, who works supernature, who still is the healer and the deliverer and the encourager and still wants to fill his church with his spirit, with his word. Don't pray for an easy life. You're guaranteed to hear God say, no way. I've already told you it's going to be difficult. I've already told you that. Now, a decision. Press on, keep moving forward, or quit. Because that's the only two decisions we have. So well, I, didn't, I didn't quit just kind of going backward. You can't go backward. There's only one direction in the Lord's forward. It's never backward, ever. He that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And I'll finish by saying you don't have to like it. The book here, the Bible says that no discipline for the moment seems to be joyous. And anyone who tells me, he's been disciplining me, but I'm so filled with joy. You're full of something, but it's not joy. <laughs> pain is pain, my friend. Whether it's emotional pain, mental pain, physical pain, pain is pain. It's not fun. But if we know that this pain can be used to give us a payoff, then it has purpose. And that's what we need. That's what we want. Let's go before the Lord this morning. Let's go before our Father as Christians. We have the same Father, same Spirit. Same faith, same Bible. And let's pray for strength to endure, courage to go forward. Father, we just come before you this morning in Jesus' mighty name. And what is spoken here today is the truth. Life is not easy for anyone. But for us, the difference is we have you. And we count on you to show up and to always be faithful as long as we will believe. We thank you for that. We bless you and praise you for that. God, receive our praise today. My prayer for those in front of me, those that are watching the live stream, those that are listening on the radio, my prayer is that they would really meditate on the things they've heard today in this message and would not be tricked into thinking, follow Jesus makes life easy. It just simply makes life better. With better promises, based upon a better covenant that ultimately will open the doors to that place where we all want to be with you. Father, pour out your grace upon all of us to endure to the end and to realize that everything is working together for good. Whether we understand it or not, help us to understand that truth so that we handle these stressors of life and these challenges and problems correctly. And God, right now as we pray, I just believe that you're going to touch your people and renew their strength, that they may be renewed by the power of the Spirit in the inner man and keep on going forward. For this, God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We glorify your mighty name. And I thank you, God, for answering our prayer. That you're going to continue to make a way like you did for Israel in the wilderness when there seemed to be no way. You kept making a way. And you always will, simply because you're God. Father, we thank you for this day, this Father's Day, and I think it would be good for us to celebrate you as our Father. You are not my father. You are our father. We are here together as your children, and you are our father. Continue, God, to help us to do our duty, regardless of the difficulties, and never give up and never give in. And on this Father's Day, we give you all of the praise, all of the glory, and all of the honor. In Jesus' mighty name. Did you say amen with me this morning? Amen. amen.